Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, was often concerned about how Christians misplace their desire to please. Their desire to please, their desire to feel secure, their desire to feel connected. Maybe those two fears that often the people Paul was writing to, you could say the two fears were maybe fear of failure or fear of rejection. There's probably good reason for that. The temptation to add to the good news of Christ was very strong. The temptation to do something more so that we feel more secure in some way was very prominent when Paul was writing his letters. But it's not the case. God is pleased with us, not because of us, but because of Christ. That is so hard for us to handle. That is so difficult for us to really enter into. And because God's pleased with us, we can follow Him. It's difficult to follow God if we are trying to make sure God is pleased with us. But knowing that He's pleased with us changes everything. We are released to follow Him. Before Jesus came onto the scene, the people of Israel, there was a certain mindset attached to their predicament and situation. I spoke about that fear of rejection and fear of failure. The the people of Israel were struggling. The Jews were struggling. They were conquered. They were conquered. They were a conquered people, yet had these promises that seemed to go against what they were experiencing. Have you ever felt like that before? Have you ever felt like you've got the promises of God before you, but it doesn't seem to be your reality that you're experiencing in that moment? Can anybody wave to me and say, Ben, I have felt like that once? They were chosen by God. These these people knew, the Jews knew, that they were a chosen people. Genesis 12 said that they were blessed to be a blessing. They were to be a great nation, yet they were conquered. They were ruled over, not just conquered, but ruled over by the Romans. Yet they knew the promises of Deuteronomy 28, which said that the Lord will set you above all other nations. Not just above, high above. Yet that wasn't their reality. Isn't that the picture we know? Isn't, aren't there people all around us who say this? Life just hasn't turned out the way I thought it might. Life hasn't really happened the way I hoped for. Do you know anyone like that? They say, you know what, I, I started off and I had these, these dreams and hopes, but at the moment it just feels so far away. It just feels so out of reach. But the people knew also from 1 Kings 9 and other verses in the Bible that, that if they turned away from God, there would be destruction. They were told that. They were told that there would be troubles. They were told that the temple would be a heap of rubble, that they would be a nation of ridicule if they turned away. But they also knew from Deuteronomy 30 that if they turned back to God, that He would restore them. He would lift them up. He would restore their fortune and their prosperity. So what has been happening for 900 years between when they were captured and taken away from their land, conquered, 
and that by the time Jesus comes, 900 years, where, where, where is the promise of God? How is this working? Maybe, maybe God was waiting for us to do something right. Maybe God was, was holding back until we got ourselves in order. It's not unreasonable to think that, is it? I mean, that's how I think. If I do this, then I'll, I'll be accepted. But I don't feel accepted, so I must be failing, so I must need to do something else. Or I must need to stop doing something. You imagine how this would play on their mind. I wonder if this sort of thing plays on our mind in different ways. I wonder if this thing is something for our culture today. So, there were the people of God who were trying to please Him. And very simplistically, there were probably three groups, three groupings or three ways that the people of God were trying to please God, were trying to wait patiently for His promises to come through. The first group was maybe a group who thought they would withdraw from the world, would avoid the world, would, didn't want a bar of the world. They, they, they just decided to escape what was happening in Israel. They wanted to escape what was happening around about. Everything they saw them just wasn't right. You know, the school wasn't right and, and, and the town square wasn't right and the movies they were playing just weren't right. Nothing, was, nothing seemed good. It seemed as though that as a person who knows the Lord, if I was to stay in this place and in this city and in this culture, how could I really follow God and please Him? So there was this group, the Essenes, that just withdrew. They just created their own community. They just lived their own life. They didn't want a bar of anyone else or anything else. They just wanted to quietly get on with it. Maybe a modern day example for us is the Amish. But I reckon you would know some people who've withdrawn a bit from the world, checked out in some ways. There was another group who just wanted to fight. These are the fighters. These are the ones who didn't want to sit around and wait for change. They wanted to be the change agents. These were fighters who, who decided that, that they needed to stand up to the government. They, they needed insurrection. They needed a fervor. They, they, they needed to be about something big and make a difference and do something. So they fought. They arranged, you know, resistance. They took on those who were working for Rome and those who were in power. That's very attractive to me. They, they th think of maybe the French resistance in World War II. People who aren't prepared just to sit around, they wanted to do something. Their goal was to, was to please God through fighting, was to take it on through fighting, not sit around. And then there was a, maybe a third group who were people who just wanted to cooperate, just wanted to get along, just compromise. They, wanted, they were prepared to compromise the things about their beliefs and their ways that they kind of deemed to be kind of minor, expendable. We'll, we'll adopt the ways of Rome and, and get along with our masters who are ruling over us in ways that won't really upset God. And that way, we'll be in a place where we can influence for the kingdom of God from inside. We'll be able to influence from, from a place of power and influence. I reckon these three groups are still operating today, all around about us. Think of people in your family, think of people in your workplace, think of people in your school. There are people there who just will fight the system. There are others who just withdraw and just, 
check out and have nothing to do with it. And there are others who will just do what they can to get along and just make it work. And even though they don't agree with it, they'll just kind of fit in and be in the mainstream so that they can maybe have some power and influence. Everything changed, though, when Jesus came. Everything changed when Jesus came. When Jesus arrived, he introduced a different way. He introduced a new way. He introduced truly good news. He made it possible for us to actually follow him because the issue of pleasing God was dealt with through Christ. There was nothing more to do. There was nothing more to add in Jesus. Now it's just to follow him. You see, when Jesus came, he had an alternative to those who were withdrawing. In John 17, he said, we're not of the world, but we're sent to the world. There's no room to withdraw in Christ. Jesus had an alternative to those who fight. In Matthew 5, he said, you know what, if someone slaps you on one cheek, give him the other. Don't take revenge. Jesus had an alternative to the fighters. Jesus had an alternative to the compromisers in Luke 12. He said, when you're brought before the synagogues and, and rulers and courts and jurisdictions that control over you, don't worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say in that moment. So there's no need to compromise. There's no need to cooperate. There's no need to give up your values for the sake of trying to get along. Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Paul speaks about this good news as setting our sights upon the realities of heaven. You see, to please God is now done. It's a fait accompli, it's finish. I threw some French in there, you like that? Fait accompli? It's guaranteed. Jesus himself has pleased the Father and now we're found in him. There's nothing more to add. There's nothing more to do. We, we are citizens of heaven. We're a royal priesthood. We're children of God. We're a friend of God. And it's not because of us at all. It's because of Christ. It's because of Him and what He has done. This is such good news. It's such good news that we're not just saved. God's not just pleased with us, but now we can follow Christ. Now we are sent. We can turn the other cheek. We don't have to worry about what to say because the Holy Spirit will teach us in that moment. Isn't that incredible? That is good news. Does that still excite you? Does that still excite your heart? Because I, I tell you, we have to take responsibility for that and be excited by the good news. We have to take a stand in our heart and our life and remind ourselves that this is good news. And I need to be excited by it. I need to be I need to be overwhelmed by it again. This is good news. We follow Jesus by setting our sights on heaven. But Paul doesn't leave it as just a calling. Paul's very practical in what this means. Paul really talks about having a goal or a vision, having a purpose, having a mission, having a value set in your life. To live your life in such a way, to have objectives, to, to set your sights on the realities of heaven. 
Paul encourages us that in our directions, in our executions, the things that we do, the things that we think, the way we act, the state of our heart should be aligned with the realities of heaven. This is something Jesus has enabled us to do and enter into. It's because of Him that we can now enter into the reality of heaven. That's what makes church so potent. That's what makes church so different. When people of God gather together, this should be a place where the realities of heaven are presented for anyone to see, for anyone to feel, for people to know. When they come into this space here and now, this is a place of the realities of heaven. How do you feel about that? Does it seem a bit hard at times? Does it seem easy? I think if it was easy, Paul wouldn't have written much about it. Let's read what Colossians says. Since you have been raised... Oh, sorry, wrong one. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Now, this verse is packed with so much. You see, Paul was facing Gentiles who were actually attracted to Judaism. The Gentiles were mostly a spiritual people who enjoyed spiritual ceremony and spiritual connection. Spirituality for, for that era in the ancient Near East was not kind of like what it is today for us in our culture in Australia. It was cool to be a spiritualist. It was cool to be part of a spiritual group. It was really cool to worship a God. It was trendy. In fact, they were looking for the latest and the greatest. And this Judaism rocked up and the Gentiles who had come to Christ were attracted into Judaism. They were attracted to circumcision. That's bizarre. They were attracted to ceremony. They were attracted to process and procedure. These people who had come into Christ were attracted towards the things of Judaism. And Paul is pulling his hair out. He's saying, why are you heading back in to those things? Why are you trying to add to your salvation? Why are you trying to add? What Paul is dealing with here is massive. You see, in some way, shape or form, at some stage in our lives, in some way, we have all tried to add to our salvation. We have all tried to work and earn it in some way. We have all tried, whether it was fighting, withdrawing or compromising. We have all tried and we probably still do in ways, intentional and unintentional, to fit in, to feel accepted, to avoid failure. We somehow try and add to the saving work of Christ. Yet it's not us that's seated at the right hand of the Father, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one that is there. It's important that we live in such a way that we see Christ at the right hand of the Father. That is one of the realities of heaven. We need to be reminded that it's Him who is sitting there. He has pleased the Father. He is sitting in the place of honour. And we find out that we are hidden in Him. You mean I'm sitting there? The right hand of the Father. That's, I'm, I'm there? 
Could you imagine being invited to Buckingham Palace? Imagine the Queen says, Bronnie? Well, she wouldn't speak like that, would she? Bronnie, come sit at the right hand. Imagine, imagine how you would feel. The intrepidation, the, the, the fear of looking right and being dressed right. And, but the Queen doesn't care about any of that. The Queen's just said, come sit here. Isn't that how we are sometimes to God? We're invited to be hidden in Christ, to be with Him. Yet sometimes we want to make sure we're dressed right, make sure we look right, make sure we've got it all taken care of and sorted out. We want to rock up to church, making sure that every sin we've done is taken care of and done. We want to come in here righteous and holy. Who prayed this morning before they even got to church? Lord, I'm sorry for anything I've done. Set your sights on the reality of heaven. You see, Jesus was never worried about pleasing God. Jesus was never worried about his place, about salvation. Jesus just had a prayer. Lord, your will be done here as it is where? Set our sights on the realities of heaven. Faith in Jesus is just that. Lord, your will be done here as it is in heaven. Your will be done here. And now we can work and do good works and do good deeds because God is pleased with us. We can do all those things, which is called following Jesus. We're not doing those things to please God. God is pleased with us. But now we can do those things to follow Him. It's a fine line, isn't it? Would you agree? As we do good works and as we do good deeds, sometimes it can become part of it can kind of seep in it but it can become a sense of i want to be accepted i want to i want to be someone i want to be someone who's recognized i want to be someone who who's known i want to be someone who's respected i want to be someone who's appreciated it can just kind of sneak into our hearts and yet so many people in the church that is the reason why they are either not in church or not serving, or bitter, or upset with the church, because they allowed a sense of what they did to really be attached to pleasing Jesus. Do you know anyone like this? Jesus is pleased with us. We're called to set our sights on the realities of heaven. You see, some Christians are fearful, lazy, powerless. They're heavenly-minded, no earthly use. They don't enter into the good news of following Jesus. Other Christians are legalistic, just working to please and feel better. They're earthly minded, but no heavenly good. They haven't entered into the good news of the grace of Jesus. Gee, it's a bit blurry, isn't it? It's a fine line. It's a fine line. The verse, the, the, the passage goes on. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life. Your real life is hidden with Christ in God. If you were to assess your thought life right now, if you could just tally up on an Excel spreadsheet, all of your thoughts, and if, I love Excel, if you had two columns, one column was, was uh, these are things of heaven thoughts, and the other one is, these are things of earth thoughts. Okay, you got it? Two columns, mutually exclusive nothing in the middle, this is black and white. 
And imagine you tallied up all of your thoughts that you've just thought between waking up this morning and right now. You put it in a spreadsheet, you totaled up the columns, Excel can do that automatically for you, and you got your result. How many of your thoughts would be on the heaven side versus the earth side? Maybe forget about today, the sample size is too big, too small, Ben. I, I heard someone think that. Okay, let's, let's grab a whole week worth of something. No, that's still too... Let's grab a year's worth of something. Okay, let's get your lifetime. Let's get the entire church, because we don't want to pick on someone. Let's get the average of our church. Everyone's life will tally it up into two columns. How would that look on a pie chart? Paul's saying it because I think there's a real... Uh, uh, difficulty for us to really set our sights on the realities of heaven. I think Paul says it because there's, a, there's just an inherent natural drift or slide towards being consumed with the things of earth. But what Paul's saying here is really practical. He's just saying, you know what, let's just get our thinking right and then as we work on our thinking, our actions and our attitudes will begin to follow. That is so practical. That is a self-help seminar right there. I could charge you a thousand bucks each for that message. If we get our thinking right, then our actions and attitudes follow. Think about things of heaven. But Paul also reassures us, he says, you know what, the reason why you can think of things of heaven and not on earth now is because you've died to this life and now you're hidden in Christ. Can I just tell you a story about hiding? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve tried to hide. They didn't do a good job. They just got itchy with fig leaves. Because I reckon fig leaves make you itchy. And they were just searching for Savlon and it wasn't available. But can I tell you about the beautifulness of hiding? My kids used to play hide and seek. And Anna is here. She was really little. And the other two were a bit bigger. Now I'm a reasonably big guy and I can create some hiding space in my little zone and so my little Anna would come and she'd be trying to hide and I'd say Anna come hide in here and you kind of curl yourself up and you might have a little bit of a blanket and you can make it look like there's no one there and Anna would hide in me she would hide in my structure in my construct and the kids, Mia and Josh, would be looking around for her. They could not find her. She was hidden. There was no chance. And it wasn't until one of them ran up to me and went, Dad, what's that? And Anna burst out laughing. I'm not sure whether she was bursting out laughing because she was sweating and delirious from the heat or she enjoyed being hidden. It's a beautiful thing to be hidden in love. It's a beautiful thing to be hidden in the love of Christ. It's a beautiful thing to be hidden in His way. It's a beautiful thing to be hidden in following Him and knowing that He's pleased with us. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's delightful, it's wonderful. I loved having Anna hiding there. It was great. It's one of my great memories of a dad. How much does Jesus love it that you're hiding in Him? How much more does Jesus love that you are in Him? 
the delight of Christ, having you hidden in Him. Incredible, amazing, astounding. When we're hidden from the things of earth through faith in Christ, we actually begin to have the time, the space, the mental energy, the ability, the capacity to begin thinking about the things of heaven. When you're hidden in Christ. Good news is that our pleasing is done. It's a gift from Jesus. God is pleased with us. So now through this passage, Paul is saying, listen, just be fully focused on following Him now. Just be focused on following Christ. Don't worry about trying to please God. And to the people he was writing to, he's saying, don't worry about circumcision. Don't worry about ceremony. Don't worry about trying to fit in with those groups who want to add more to your salvation. Don't do that. Let us never be a church where we pour weight onto people. Let us be a place where the realities of heaven here exist and we're hidden in Christ and we're free to follow Him. So these, these couple of verses, I just want to expand a bit. In this first verse, it says, set our sights on the realities of heaven. When it's talking about sights, it's actually kind of referring to our heart, our desire, our seeking, our concern. Another time where this word is used is where Jesus says, seek the kingdom second. No, he doesn't say that. He says, seek the kingdom first. Seek the kingdom first. This is the same seeking. It's a heart, it's a desire. What is the desire of your heart? Another time Jesus uses this word is, is when someone comes to him and says that his mother and brothers came to Christ. They were desiring to talk with him. Have you ever just been dying to talk to someone? You ever just, you know, you've got some exciting news and you just can't wait to tell them. You just can't wait to see them. You can't wait to express something to them. This word, set your sights on the realities of heaven, is, is to have a desire for the realities of heaven. Is, is to seek the realities of heaven. It's the same word that's also used in Luke 2 when Jesus says, um, Jesus says, uh, you don't need to search. Don't you know that I must be in my Father's house? This is when Jesus was, was kind of hanging around the temple and mum and dad had taken off back home. And mum and dad are worried. Mum and dad are a bit fearful. We, in America, we had a moment where one of our kids kind of disappeared. I don't mind that around my house. But when you're in a different country in a place and you've just lost track of one of your kids, it's a horrible, horrible feeling. It's horrible. I don't like that feeling at all. In fact, I'm thinking about it now. It's a horrible feeling. And, and the urgency upon which you're searching is incredible. This is that same word. This is searching with a sense of urgency and desire. Searching with a sense of, I've got to find it. I've got to find it. The realities of heaven. Search for the realities of heaven. The second part of the verse is, think about the things of heaven. This is, this is more about our thought life, about our mind, our interests, our reasoning. An example of this is in Mark 8 and 33. When Jesus turns around to Peter... He says, get away from me, Satan. You're merely seeing things from a human point of view. And another version I put up there says, you're not setting your mind on the things of God. Our thought life and our mind must be aligned with the realities of heaven. 
Another example of this word is, is from Corinthians where it says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. This, this idea of thinking about the things of heaven is, is reasoning about the things of heaven, like really taking it in, really giving it thought, intentional thought, giving it time to contemplate and think about it. Another example was in Philippians. You must have the same attitude. Think about the things of heaven. Have the same attitude as the things of heaven. Another translation for this verse, Philippians 2.5, is have the mind of Christ. Think like Christ thought. These are mindsets and goals and passions and desires. These are things that we ought to pursue. The normal Christian life is following Jesus. That's the normal Christian life. Paul speaks a lot about goals and, and mission and vision and running the race and, and pursuing. We know that goal setting is linked to success. We, we know that. It's been studied for a long time. There have been research papers about the value of goal setting, the value of having goals and, and setting your sights on things. It's linked to success. It's linked to being confident. It's, it's linked to motivating us. When we set our sights on the, on the realities of heaven and as we begin to learn more about it and take steps towards us, it motivates us more towards the reality of heaven. And we even know that writing things down, they've got statistics which say there's, there's a much greater chance of you succeeding if you actually write it down. Isn't that amazing? Is anyone amazed by that? Now, we've seen this all before. It's on Facebook and email, blogs, and comes through us through all sorts of mediums. We know this. We know it. So Paul is really saying, have your goals on the realities of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Think about the things of heaven. Psychology Today says, you know what, there's a few ways that you can help to set your sights, to set goals, to begin thinking. First of all, they say, write it down. Have you written some goals down for this year? Some Christian goals. Some realities of heaven goals. I would reckon, my guess is maybe 10% of us would do that. That would be my guess. I reckon we should. I reckon Paul's saying, set your sights on, I reckon we should write it down, I reckon we should put something down. They should have meaning and action. What sort of action are you doing to follow up on that goal that you have? On that, on that reality of heaven that you want to set your sights on? What sort of actions are you attaching to that? It's important to be specific. Maybe you just know in your heart you've just been called to just, just pray a bit more. Maybe be specific. Every Tuesday... Between 1.50 and 2 o'clock, I'm going to pray. Put it in your calendar and take that time to pray. We're not talking about pleasing God, we're talking about following Jesus. God is pleased with us, but because He's pleased with us, we're now following Him and we're focusing on the realities of heaven. And what is one of the best ways that we can tap into the realities of heaven? Is to pray to our Father. It's to pray to Him. Maybe it's a hope goal. Maybe it's an expectation in your heart for something that you're really hoping for. Maybe you're hoping to reach the lost. Maybe it's, it's a, maybe it's a reality that you really need to stretch for. 
maybe it's like, Lord, help me have the courage to speak about the good news to that person. Lord, let, in the month of February, Lord, I, I, I want to, it's the desire of my heart, it's the reality of heaven, that everyone should come to know Christ, that everyone should experience the love of God. Lord, help me to follow you in that. Help me to take a step and speak about your good news. Maybe it's speaking to Mavis and saying, Mavis, I just love what you're doing. In Indonesia. I just want to go. Next time you go into Indonesia, take me with you. Can I just come along? Can I see it? Can I get involved? Can I do something? Maybe it's to speak with your neighbour. And finally, where's your accountability and your encouragement for that reality of heaven? Do you share that with someone? Do you got a prayer partner? You got someone who, who you're just open to. You're just sharing the deepest parts of your heart. I want to encourage you today to set your sights on the realities of heaven, to bring heaven to earth. What are the promises of God that you can trust in again? What are the things that you can pray for today and tomorrow? What is the good news? And out of that good news, who can you share that with? Because the heavenly reality means nothing else really matters, does it? The things of earth, do they really compare to the realities of heaven? What a joy and privilege it is for us to bring the realities of heaven to this place and to this space. I only have so much time to do that and then I'm in heaven. Why wouldn't I want to go with that with all my heart and all my strength and all my mind? There's an opportunity for us and I love Anna to pass out another one of these. Anna. Can you go up that side? And Dan, can you go up the other side? There's the Graham tour coming up and it's on Wednesday and it's a free event and the entire event is designed, the entire event is designed for someone who doesn't know Christ to come. Can you imagine that? Like it's the intentional single focus is so that someone who doesn't really know what church is like, doesn't really know Christianese, doesn't really understand Christian things, it's, it's intentionally designed for them. That is amazing. I'll pass out another one, mate, yeah. In fact, keep passing them out until they're all gone. There's other things that we've been having in our newsletter and they're on the info desk to be an Andrew. is to be that one who would go and get their brother, go and get their sister, go and get their friend. Can, can I encourage you that that be the desire of your heart this February? There's enough time to be an Andrew for someone, to just slip in and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Hey, can, you want to come to the Graham tour. Hey, do you, you want to come to church? Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, can I tell you about the faith that I have? Can I tell you about the Jesus who loves me? There's enough time this February for us to reach into the realities of heaven for someone. There's enough time. Keep going, Anna. I'll still see a few more there. Good on you, girl. If they don't look at you, just put it in front of them. Don't worry. They're good Christians. They'll take it. setting our sights on the realities of heaven today.
we are hidden in Christ. We have sung about it. We have been reminded around the communion table about the love of God for us. It is our privilege and honour to follow Him. And following Christ is setting our sights on the realities of heaven. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we 